Well, welcome back to our journey through the Ten Commandments, God's recipe for a wonderful life. It's so good to see so many of you back tonight and so many new faces here with us as well. I hope during the week that you were able to spend some time with what we talked about last time and change the perception maybe in your minds of how these commandments may have been perceived as negative for you and you turning those around to bring them into a positive light and see the greatness of these commandments. And I hope that you had some fun making some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, had some fun with that, and maybe a little different type of peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but use that as a, as a way to have some discussion with your kids about recipes and how God has a recipe for, for their lives. And uh, when we follow that recipe, things go well. And when we don't follow it, eh, it doesn't taste so good. So I hope you had some fun with that. Let's begin tonight in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So one of the things we want to do in this course is to learn the actual commandments. So we have them in top of mind. Remember last week when we talked about the, the group at, at the conference, the 500 people who were given uh, the, the task of writing out the Ten Commandments, and there was only one at this Christian conference, conference out of 500 that got it right? My guess is there's some others here that may have some, uh, some memorizing to do. And memorizing this will help get it into our heads, but that, that also helps us get it into our heart and live it into our daily lives. So we're going to go through these together. And at first, it might be a little rough, but bear with it. And over a few times, you'll get to where these are, are pretty easy for you. So uh, call these out as we, uh, as we go through them. So the first commandment is... I am the Lord your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. Number two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number three, remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Number four, honor your father and your mother, you're doing great. Number five, you shall not kill. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not steal. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse. And number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. So we'll do this each time as we get started, and it'll get pretty easy as, as we go along. So the first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. Now, I'm going to bring in something you probably don't expect. I'm going to bring in the game of bingo here. And you're probably thinking, what does bingo have to do with this first commandment? Well, remember last week when I told you the story of Gary and his friends were, were measuring him as to how good of a guy he was. And on the first commandment, 
I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. Gary thought he had it made. This is going to be a breeze. That first one, I don't worship other gods. He kind of saw this first commandment as the free space on a bingo card. And I know I have thought of that, that when I've done a, an examination of conscience, I just have kind of breezed past that. Kind of like a, the free space on the bingo card, or, or maybe like a gimme in golf, just a real short putt. Kind of an easy one, and I don't give it a whole lot of thought. But when we don't give it a whole lot of thought, we miss out on a tremendous amount. And you'll see by the end of this how important this commandment is and for us to, to spend a little time with it here. So let's take a, a closer look at this first commandment. We're going to take a closer look by going to Exodus chapter 20. And in chapter 20, the commandments are all listed out, but they're not listed out necessarily the way we call them out. There's, there's more text to it, and there's an expansion, an explanation of some of these. So in chapter 20 in Exodus, there's a passage that we're going to go through a segment at a time. And the first segment is, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now this is kind of a, a reset for the Israelites. The Israelites, they've been in Egypt for about 400 years and mixed in with the Egyptians, they've adopted the Egyptian gods and the Egyptians had all kinds of gods. They had the sun god and the moon god, the god of the rain, the fertility god, the Nile god, all these different, they had a frog god and they had a temple set up for frogs and they went and worshiped there. And over time, the Israelites adopted these gods and worshipped them and made sacrifices to them. So this is a reset to say, wait a minute, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, remember? And I'm the God that brought you out of slavery, the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Now this is a reset for us also. It's a reset for us to check and see, have we started worshiping any false gods in our lives? And the slavery that's being talked about in this is not the bondage that the Israelites experienced, but it's the slavery of our sin. And so this is the reset for us to say, this is the Lord our God. And he brings us out of the slavery of sin. So when we realize this, we realize, again, that God created the universe. We get busy in our lives and we forget this sometimes, but for us to realize as we go through this commandment that God is the creator of the universe. He created all the amazing things in life. He's the mastermind of all the physical things and the physical laws that allow the physical things to operate. And he's the mastermind behind the natural laws that allow us to operate, our souls and our hearts and in our relationships. He's the God that ordered the days of the week and the seasons of the year. All these amazing, great things. He's the God who is the artist that paints that beautiful sunset that when we see it, we just stop and just want to soak it in. And he's the God that created that beautiful, funny-looking fish that puts a smile on our face. And we think, wow, what imagination God had to create all of these wonderful things in life. So we need to realize this, and, and we need to reestablish that God is the center 
of our lives, whether we know it or not, or we realize it or not. And we therefore need to trust God and make sure that we put him first and don't have other gods before him. So let's continue on with Exodus 20 here. You shall not have other gods besides me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or a likeness of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or serve them. This is a warning to the Israelites. It's a warning for us as well. Are we really any different than the Israelites? I propose that we're, we're pretty much the same in them. And we, we got to think of what false gods do we have in our world today that we sacrifice our time and our attention and our money to? So when we look at this wonderful God of the universe and we think about maybe the gods that have come in to our world, one of the ones that comes to mind for me is the entertainment. And the entertainment is so prevalent in our world. It's, it seems like the TV's on or the radio's on or something is on to entertain us. And if it's not on our TVs, it's on our computers or our phones. And this time that we spend with this entertainment does it ever get in the way of our time with God and our relationship with God? The materialism, we want to buy more and more things. He who has the most toys wins, right? Well, maybe not, maybe in worldly sense, but not in the sense that, that God wants to have that relationship with us. And as we fill our lives with these material things, do they get in the way of our time with God? And sports, it's a form of entertainment, but I think it deserves its, its own category here because sports seems to be so infused into our society. and We always got to be catching up on the scores and, and seeing, uh, talking about last night's game. And do these conversations help us in our relationship with God or do they ever get in the way of that time that we would otherwise spend with God? How about our houses? Do our houses become something that give us that pride and prestige and we want to make sure that our houses are taken care of and we have to pay the mortgage on it and so instead of us owning the house the house kind of owns us and gets in the way of our relationship with jesus and in order to pay for that house now we have to work hard and we have to accomplish a lot and so the the the, the god of accomplishment and prestige and, and authority in our work can become a god and do we look at the government as our savior? Governments are gonna take care of this for us. They'll take care of it. The next administration will be able to, to fix these problems. And do we put too much trust into our government and lose sight of the trust that we should put in to our creator? And in our sexual world, has our sexual desires become so rampant, either individually or in our culture, that it overshadows the greatness of God. And at home, do we allow technology to get in the way of, of the relationships that God has given us in our home, that we're not talking to one another? We got our faces in our devices. And of course, money. Money, the, the love of money and the power and the prestige that it offers, and it seems to be the, the fuel that allows these other things to happen. And so, we grow in our love for money and put our trust in, in the money 
instead of our trust in God. Now, I want to point out that none of these things are bad. These are good things. All of this is good. We just got to be careful that we don't get them out of proportion and in the wrong orders. Because if we do, then we have to look at this picture and say, where's Jesus in this picture now? What's happened to him? He's in the background. He's no longer where we have easy access to him because we filled up our lives with so many of these other gods. So we need to be careful about how these gods prevent us from having that relationship with Jesus. But when we look at all of these different things that I've displayed here, there's really another God that's missing here that we probably all fall victim to to some degree or another, and that's ourselves. This passage in Exodus is warning us about replacing the one true God with ourselves. I think we can see how in our society we've lost sight of God to a large degree, not to a small degree. I think we can, we can see the evidence of this when we look at church attendance on Sunday. So on this next slide, we're going to see how church attendance has changed over the last 60 years. In 1955, there are five different age groups displayed here on this chart. All five of these age groups attended church within the past seven days, 70% of, of the people have attended church within the past seven days. We see that the trend from 50, 1955 to 2017 doesn't look promising, doesn't look good. All age groups are now below 50% of attending church at least once in the last seven days. And you look at the youngest age group, our young men and women, age 21 to 29, they're at 25% three years ago. I think we can see the evidence that we've allowed some of these gods to take over in our, in our lives, in our culture. During the rest of these sessions, we'll be looking at the toll that this is taking as we look at each of the commandments, how it's taking a toll on our families and on society. So let's finish up this passage here. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing punishment for their parents' wickedness on the children of those who hate me, down to the third and fourth generation, but showing love down to the thousandth generation for those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, I used to be really bothered by this part of the, the commandment here. And it, this comes up in other places in Scripture. And it used to bother me that God would punish my children and my grandchildren because of something that I did that violated one of the commandments. And I've realized that it's not necessarily God that's punishing my children, but it's the consequences of me and, and my choices. Now, last time we talked a little bit about the natural laws. We're going to talk a little bit more about them here. Now, when God created the universe, he created the physical world and the physical laws that govern that physical world. But he also knows that we're not just physical, that we're a spiritual being. And he created the natural laws 
to help us with our spiritual being and that govern the way that our souls work and the way that our relationships work. And these are the natural laws and it's the commandments that God gave us that help us to understand these natural laws better. We can't see them the way we can with physical laws. So these commandments give us the insight to understand how these natural laws work. And these natural laws, originally they weren't written on stone, but they were written in our hearts. They were written right where we need them in our hearts, but through the fall of Adam and Eve, we've kind of lost touch with those. And so God gave us the commandments so that we can begin to realize them and, and be called back to God through those commandments and to help us in our lives. And, and it, again, it's the recipe for that wonderful life. <clears throat> now, just like the physical laws work automatically, the natural laws do the same thing. So we need to realize that the natural laws, they work kind of like dominoes. You know, you got the dominoes set up and all you gotta do is tap that first one and there it goes and all the dominoes fall down. Well, the natural laws work the same way. Now they can work in a good way. They can, when you, when you make a, a decision that is in alignment with God's commandments, things go well. But then when we make choices that disobey God's commandments, they can go bad for us. So they're automatic. The other thing is these commandments are always in play 100% of the time. If I hold this clicker up and I let go of it, you know exactly what's going to happen 100% of the time. It's the same way with the natural laws. The thing is we can't always observe it. So we might think that we got away with one. We may have taken something that didn't belong to, it, to us, or we might have told a lie, and it was just a little lie. We think, oh, nobody knows, no harm, no foul. But these natural laws are always at play because somebody always gets hurt. And it's always ourselves first, but it's also usually somebody else. They're always at play and 100% accurate. I, I really enjoy, I really haven't yet a kick out of magicians. Magicians, especially the ones that do the sleight of hand. And they'll do a trick and you just go, wait a minute, that just defied all physical laws. There's no way that that can work. And then they show you what the trick is and you realize, oh yeah, all the physical laws are in play. They're right there and exactly as I expected them to. Well, the natural laws are always in play as well. We might think that we got away with one. We might trick our minds, but in reality, they're always at play, 100%. So it's not God that's punishing us. It's just the consequences of our actions. He's got it set up so well, but he gives us the freedom of choice. Let's wind the clock back about 100, 120 years before there were all the distractions that we have in the world today. And at the end of the day, in leisure time, families would gather together. And if a family had a book, it was often the Bible. Many people, that was the book that they learned how to read from. They didn't have another book. And so as they read through these scriptures, as they gathered together as a family, and each person took turns reading, and they read these wonderful stories, the story of creation, the story of how David slew Goliath, and how Jesus 
suffered and died on the cross, but then was re resurrected to life. They sat around and they read these stories. And then because things were a little slower paced, they didn't have to get off to watch that TV program that's their favorite, or to get to the sporting event, to get back to work. They had time to just have some discussion there and talk about these wonderful stories and God's amazing miracles that he performed and his love for us. And then maybe they went outside and through nature because they were more in tune with nature than, than we are today. They would go out into nature and they would just observe God in the beautiful creation and the stars in the moon and the small creatures that we just pass by because we're so busy. And they learned to make sure that God was first in their lives. And they realized that through the nature that, that they observed. Fast forward about 120 years. This is more like what our life looks like today. We've replaced these holy moments with all these distractions, all of these modern day gods. We need to include in our modern day gods the God of comfort and pleasure, the God of prestige and convenience. This first commandment warns us about the pride that we get caught up in with these gods and calls us back to be humble, calls us to humility, but in our pride, we're blinded by these modern guides. And we fall victim to the and. That's right, I said the word and. We call fall victim to the and, and we need to be careful of the and. The and is everything that we want in addition to God. So we want God and we want the big house. We want God and we want the prestigious job. We want God and we want the big bank account and the security with it. We need to be careful of the and because it's the and that causes us to push God to the margins of our lives, push God to the background Jesus warns us about this, that we will love one God more than the other God. He warns us about this in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So when we get caught up in the end, we start to despise the true God for all the things that our, our relationship with him draws away from the other gods that we place in a higher priority. So church on Sunday, we despise that sometimes. Or we, 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 we get caught up in how we maybe don't want to go to church on Sunday because it's taking away from our sporting event for the day. Or we don't want to necessarily give money to the poor because it's taking away from affording the things that we want in life, the other gods, and the, and the security of our investments and in, in, in retirement. And in our daily prayer, 
we despise the time that we are called to spend with God in our daily prayer because it cuts into our TV time or our sleep time or time to get to work and get some things done. Again, I'm not calling any of these things bad. They're, they're good. We just need to get them in the right order. We need to put God first in our lives. But we struggle with this. And I'm going to go to one of my favorite places uh, to, to explain this, buffets. Uh, I, I enjoy going to buffets, and I also kind of hate going to buffets. Uh, at the same time, for one low price, I can eat as much as I want, and I don't have to worry about the cost once I've decided I'm going to make that choice to pay for the buffet. But when we start at the buffet, we have our plate, and we know, we know what's at the other end of the line, don't we? We know that down there is the chocolate cake and the, the pudding and all the delicious cookies and desserts. But we start at this end and we, we fill up our plate a little bit at a time. We put a little mashed potatoes on there, some, some green beans and some, some ribs and some pasta and all the wonderful things all the way on down the line. And when we get to the other end, what's, what does our plate look like? It's stacked up, it's full, and there's really no room for dessert, but we're not gonna be denied dessert, are we? So we kind of shove it to the side a little bit, and we put in a little bit of dessert there, a few things, and then we go sit down and for the next 10 or 15 minutes. We stuff all this in, and we just, oh, this is so delicious, and ah, now dessert. Are we ready for dessert now? Or are we a little uncomfortable at this point? But we're not gonna be denied dessert, so what do we do? In goes the dessert as well, right? It, right, it goes in, but we're, we're kind of miserable. And do we enjoy that dessert the way that we, we could have if we started at the other end of the line? In the buffet of life, do we fill up our plates with all the other things before we put God on our plates? And do we take time for God before we enjoy the other things? that are on our, our plate in the buffet of life. We need to make sure we get things in the right order. We need to put God first so that we're not tired when we go to say our evening prayers. We're not exhausted and going, I just wanna to go to sleep. We need to slow down a little bit and prioritize these things so that we're not tired when we go to church on Sunday because we've stayed up too late the night before or spent too much time during work just worrying about the things of, of the world. So putting things in the right order is what this commandment is calling us to do. So we're gonna break into our group discussions here uh, now, and uh, we're only gonna go over the first two questions there for this, for this chapter uh, right now. We'll do the other two in the second group discussion time. But this first question, I want you to spend two minutes in silence. Respect each other's silence and, and just spend that by yourself. Just thinking about your answer before you hear from everybody else. And then go in to the second question. And the first question is, circle the face, the little smiley face there. Circle the face that best represents how well you keep God first in your life and don't have false gods. And then why do you feel that way? Why do you give yourself that, that answer? 
And the second question is, what modern day gods have crept into your life? And how have they interfered with your relationship with God? Now in your group discussions, it's tempting to just talk about generalities and abstract things and theories and other people and so forth, but I really encourage you in your discussions to make your discussions personal, make it about you. It'll be a much more fruitful conversation if you're able to do that. So have your group discussions there and we will uh, resume here in just a few moments.